0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest uh, again tonight, we welcome you. It really does encourage us uh, that you're here tonight. If you'd like to be open your Bibles, we're eventually going to settle uh, into several verses in Ephesians, the second and third chapter. Now, we'll probably look at a few verses Uh, before we get there uh, at a couple other places, but we're going to look at several verses there and we won't have slides. And so I hope that that you'll open up and and we can study those together uh, because we'll be reading enough verses. We won't have time to elaborate deeply on them, but uh, maybe if we see it and hear it and think about it, we can really gain some powerful truths that God has in his word uh, to help us. Uh, this morning was a tremendous morning uh, we love and appreciate tim martin he is a tremendous minister he does a great job in leading our educational department and he did a tremendous job preaching this morning if you were here you know that uh, a powerful study of first corinthians 15. we're thankful uh, for his physical health that allows him Uh, to be here and to be able to continue to do what he's doing and we're thankful for how he works in every way i like the idea of bible class emphasis month and i want to encourage you uh, as bible classes to enjoy as he mentioned this morning the challenge for us to have a sunday lunch together this month there's something neat about potlucks or get togethers at sunday lunch that'll also be a time that we would have guests in our class that If we have a gathering in the evening sometime, they might not be here. And so that's a great idea to have it at lunch. And so encourage you to take him up on that challenge. Uh, Also, I just encourage you to think about who is it that you could invite to Bible class this month? Uh, How great would it be if every one of us invited somebody to Bible class this month? And I want to encourage you to think about uh, who it is that it would be good for them because they're not there. And what an opportunity to be around Christians studying God's Word and growing in knowledge. So be prayerful about that and then be involved in in helping someone grow closer to God. We've been studying for a few weeks now about the topic of race and prejudice and partiality. In the beginning of this a few weeks ago, we looked at the powerful example of Marshall Keeble and when he was being driven by Willie Cato. And we saw from some stories from their life together of how difficult it was sharing in a society here in the South where they would try to ride in both in the front seat of cars and oftentimes others wouldn't want to share the road with them. They'd have a hard time on the road, stopping and finding a restaurant that they could both go into the same dining room and eat. They weren't allowed to go in the same restrooms or drink from the same water fountains. They weren't allowed to stay in the same hotel, uh, hotels for the most part. It was a very difficult time. But yet in that, what God's plan has always been was for them to both have a place in one body. And tonight, I hope you and I love and appreciate that. And I hope that we give honor To God by the way we live and by the way we love in that I want to remind you of one passage from each of the last two lessons and then I'd like for us to go forward do you remember when we looked at Matthew the 23rd chapter and we talked about that in this series what we're challenging ourselves to do is to not ask ourselves are we polite have we learned what to say and what not to say? And do we consider ourselves very faithful in doing that? Keep in mind that God has always been more concerned about the heart because it's out of the heart that comes the issues of life is what Proverbs tells us. But here's what he says to hypocrites in Matthew 23 and verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful, outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. What a, a picture that paints <clears throat> to think about on the outside, you see this whitewashed structure that look how clean that is. Look how beautiful that is. But then we go on the inside, dead men's bones. It's full of rot. What about your heart? It's not, have you learned how to not say remarks that are or sound prejudice in certain crowds where it wouldn't be appreciated, but down to your very core, do you love your neighbor as yourself, no matter what ethnicity, nationality, or color of skin your neighbor has? And I hope, that, I hope that we can say we do and we're working on it. I think we probably struggle with this a little bit more uh, than what we might like to admit. I think about a preacher uh, that has been listening to these Sunday night lessons and he emailed me. And in the email, he said, I want so much to believe that I don't have one ounce of of prejudice feelings or thought within me but I also know how easy it is and then he named a very well-known preacher and uh, and he said I heard this preacher say years ago he was walking through his house and he heard on the radio as he was walking through his home that a bus had wrecked and that there were great and serious injuries. He said he paused to listen closer. And then it said that there was a certain nationality of people on this bus. And he just kind of said, oh, and kept walking. And then a few minutes later, he paused and he thought to himself, why did I not feel as much concern? What if they would have announced that and it would have been people the nationality of me, would I have then felt different about that? And that preacher went on to say that it is so easy to boast and not having any feelings or thoughts of prejudice, but yet he then went on to say, maybe we need to examine ourselves closer. And maybe we do. Last week, we looked at Galatians, the third chapter. And toward the end of the lesson, we just closed with this. You remember the Remarks that he made that to the people of Galatia would have been a great struggle in all three of these remarks You remember Galatians 3 and 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek There's neither slave nor free There's neither male nor female For you are all one in Christ Jesus Doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter what class system. It doesn't matter what gender In other words, the plea here is that we are all one in Christ. Now, you could come at this from a few different angles, but it boils down to this. Are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, there's only one Christ. If you're in Christ, you're only in one Christ. And so every other person that Jesus saves, and we pointed out last week in Matthew, the great... Commission that is in Matthew when he talks about nations there It is the word that we get ethnicity and so the Great Commission is telling the Apostles and then it comes over into church Go and reach out to all ethnicities, that's the Great Commission And so in Christ is all ethnicity. So then the question is are you in Christ? And are you thankful to be in Christ? Because if so, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. We're one in Christ. It doesn't matter what class. It doesn't matter if if you come from, from a very elite setting here in America. And I don't mean that negative. If that's the way you were born, that's good. Or if you come from the very poorest parts of America. I don't mean that negative, but if that's the way you were born, it doesn't matter if you're in Christ. We are in Christ together. And it doesn't matter what gender. Do you remember the sermon that Peter preached in Acts, the second chapter? I'd like for you to stream with me. Now we're coming to tonight's lesson. I'd like for you to stream with me three thoughts through the book of Acts to see the church beginning and to see how it was very difficult for the church to come to an understanding that there really was to be all nationalities in one church, even though think about it. And we looked last week and Matthew, the great commission was telling them, go out and reach all ethnicities. It just didn't settle into their mind. And then when we read throughout the book of Acts, we see that it still was very difficult for it to settle in their mind. Peter stands up and preaches in Acts the second chapter. And when they cried out in 37, they wanted to know what to do. In 38, they were told to repent and be baptized, And then in 39, notice this passage, Acts 2 and 39. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to whom else? To all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter is standing up and he is preaching, but keep in mind, he is preaching by power of of the Holy Spirit. And so there are some things that he's saying because it's true, and he has this miraculous power of the Holy Spirit and he no doubt doesn't fully understand what he's saying. And so several years later, this very same man that said, hey, this promise, Acts 2, this promise I'm preaching to you, that day there's just Jews gathered. It's for you and it's for your children, but it's also for all those that are far off. Jews knew the ones who were far off were Gentiles. He didn't settle in. Acts the 10th chapter comes around. This same man, Peter, is being sent to Cornelius. And now the Holy Spirit is going to pour out in a miraculous fashion, the baptism of the Holy Spirit only happened twice. It was given once in Acts 2 to the Jews, and now it's going to be given the second time, Acts 10, to the Gentiles. Now, there are many things you know that we can study in Acts 10th chapter. But if you want to glance in verse 9, the vision has to be sent to him three times for him to be convinced that... Really, he can partake of the things that he used to think were unclean, down to verse 16. And so finally, when he understands from this, I am supposed to go to this man's house, Cornelius, and I'm supposed to preach to him. You know how sometimes you say something that's true because it is a fact and it needs to be presented? No doubt what we're about to read is that way. But I want you to notice also, you know how sometimes something is true and it needs to be presented, but you're the one struggling with it? And you know, you almost say it as an observation. I would guess that that's a part of what Peter is saying here. He enters into this conversation, Cornelius, Cornelius has his household together. That means he has a lot of Gentile family and friends gathered around. So here's this man that all his life didn't even think it was right for him to go into a Gentile's house. And now he is invited to a Gentile's house to preach the same gospel that has been preaching to Jews. That did not feel right to this man. And notice what his early observation is. Let's just jump right into 34, verse 34. He stands up and notice what he says. Then Peter opened his mouth and he said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Peter, how long have you been believing that? <laughs> if he answered that question, he'd probably say, nah, I didn't think this was just back, well, just back to about the time that vision came and told me to come to you Gentiles and tell you this. I mean, I knew I stood back there years ago in Acts the second chapter, and I knew I said that this was for all those afar off, but let me tell you something. It just didn't register with me. I'm starting to gain some understanding today that I just have never understood before. God really doesn't have partiality toward anyone. As a matter of fact, every nation that accepts him, they can be accepted by him. You can imagine Peter saying this because again, it's a miraculous message that's being given to him. But you can also imagine him as he's saying it being inspired by the Holy Spirit, you can imagine him on a fleshly level hearing it and saying, wow, this is really true. Now, just a little time out here. I love the thought process that this has created uh, in your minds and in your hearts. There's been some really neat conversations that has taken place, some neat emails that have come in. One of you said that you've been studying on it. And, and then as you also read some articles online, that's generated some real questions. And so it'll be a, a really a, a different angle completely, but I think it's very much worthy of our time. And so next Sunday night, we're gonna to try to come and, and answer this question of how do we understand the passages in the Old Testament that make God appear to be partial? the passages where it looks like his favoritism towards Israel was because he disliked other nations. Doesn't that sound like a prejudiced God? Can we take God's own words and reveal him to be prejudiced? And, and so we'll, we'll go into a study next week and, and, uh, and we will try to see what God's word says in the context in which it's written in that paragraph, but also in the context of the whole Old Testament and the story leading to the New Testament. And um we look forward to Tim Martin preaching it. No, I'm just kidding. But uh I've got I've got a lot of study to do on that lesson, so we're gonna do that one next week. All right. But imagine Peter standing here in in, in Acts 10 and and you can see him okay. He It really is that God accepts all nations. Peter's accepting it now, but what about all the Jews that have been Christians for many years now, and now the Gentiles are really being brought in in large number, what are we going to do with that? We well, remember Acts the 15th chapter. That was the huge discussion in Acts the 15th chapter. Wait a minute. If you bring a Gentile in, you need to bring him through, in through the rite of our circumcision so that in a sense, they will take on tradition of Judaism before they become Christians so that they could be saved. And in verse 1 and 2, notice as we read, and certain men came down from Judea and they taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension to dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to apostles and elders about this question. And so they went down and they met with the apostles and the elders there and they sought to find God's will. And what they figured out from God was that you do not have to come through some kind of right of passage of identifying yourself with a Jew or Judaism before you become a Christian. That would have been a huge racial barrier to cross over. I don't know if you and I just immediately, that's the way we see it. I'm asking you to think about that and see that. In other words, now what that decision in Acts 15, it was God's decision all along, but it became clear to them was to say, oh no, There is not a racial leaning to the Lord's church. We're wrong when we go to El Salvador and, and if, and I'm not saying we do this, but if there was anything we did in presenting the gospel, it made it sound like that there was a United States of America leaning toward Christianity. There is no reason when we are seeking to convert other nationalities to to first convert them to be like Americans, then convert them to be Christians. Now listen, I'm not saying we should not reach out and help the poor. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that. But please understand this. We do not have to reach out and bring the poor up to the level of middle class before they can be saved. We don't have to bring the rich down to middle class before they can be saved. There is no reason to ask, just pick out an ethnicity and ask them to become like some other ethnicity so that they can be saved. So here, this this council meeting that took place in Jerusalem ultimately was saying to the Jews, the Gentiles do not have to follow your traditions in order to become a Christian. They don't have to look like a Jew in order to be a Christian. I love this one sentence of explanation. Turn, turn your page. Same chapter, Acts 15th chapter. Look how, look how it's described in. Uh, I think I've lost my place. I think it's verse 19. Look at verse 19. I love the way he describes it here. Therefore, I judge that we should not. This is this is the summary. Okay, this is where they're giving the report of their decision. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from whom among the Gentiles who are turning to God. I hope you and I can do that with everybody we work with, everybody for which we're neighbors, anybody that would ever visit here, anybody that we ever reach out to. Let us never trouble them with anything that God would not expect of them. Well, if you come here, You need to first look a little bit like us so that then you can become a Christian. You need to reflect us more before you become a Christian. Now let's all just follow Christ. And I I know I said this to you a couple weeks ago, but God honors the differences. He made us different. There is no reason for us to have this mindset of, oh, I just see everybody as as one skin color. I see everybody as one. You don't. And there's no reason to. We ought to love and appreciate each other's differences. We ought to love and appreciate each other's differences. And then... All we should expect of each other is you follow Jesus and I'll follow Jesus. Now, where would that put us? Let's go to Ephesians, the second chapter. Ephesians, the second chapter is so rich and let's scan. And then at the end of our scanning, let's extend an invitation. In, in Ephesians, the second chapter, we find ourselves in verse one, dead in the trespasses of sin. And we see in verse two that because of that, we walk the course of this world. At the end of verse two, we're sons of disobedience. Because of that, we conduct ourselves like the lust of the flesh. And we're at the end of verse three, the nature uh, of the children of wrath. And so really verse one, two, and three reminds us of just really how horrible we are if we're out living on our own. But then in verse four, there's this sharp contrast, but God. And it's because of God's rich mercy, verse four, his great love, and in verse five, his saving grace. Now, here's where we get into our theme. Has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, pause there. I have studied this passage so many times in my life It really was not until I started reading these passages, thinking about the context. And it really wasn't starting here. It was once I got down late into the second chapter and really late in the third chapter that it dawned on me back a while back. And by the way, when it dawned on me a while back, we studied a lesson one night that hit on some of this. This is one of the richest passages to study about what do we do with the various ethnicities. I never noticed the emphasis because of repetition of the words together here. What does he mean when he says together? Like when we read here in six, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, when we read on, we realize that he's saying, hey, Jew. Do you want to stay spiritually dead? No. I want to be raised up. Hey, Gentile, do, do you want to be raised up with Christ too? Well, what if the Gentiles raised up with Christ? And what if the Jews raised up with Christ? Now, if they're both raised up with Christ, where are they now? They are alive together in Christ. And so the emphasis is upon this together. But then when we drop down and read 11, 12, and 13, we see it is made very clear that this together is in Christ. Look at 11. Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ. He's describing those that at one time were far off. They were without Christ. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise and that left them with no hope and without God in this world. And now we have that sharp contrast again. But now, Where? In Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And so the ones that have been very, the ones that have been very far away, now they are brought to the ones that have been near. And it's by the blood of Jesus, but notice where they are once they've come near. They're in Christ. We're raised up. Together, to be in Christ. And then for the next several verses, he continues to emphasize, and I want you to see this as we read these verses. Notice how many times he emphasizes two coming together to be one, and notice how many times he emphasizes peace. Let's, let's read this together. Look in verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Who has made both one. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. So, in other words, there was a middle wall of separation where they were two. But he came to break down that wall so that we could be one, having abolished in the flesh the enmity that is that is the law of commandments between or contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. See how many times oneness, unity, and peace are emphasized? And that he might reconcile, that that points to a unity, reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. He came and he preached peace to you, who were afar off, and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That's a lot of emphasis. Paul, what are you trying to teach us? I'm trying to emphasize that if you want to be saved, you're going to be raised up into one Christ. And that should promote peace. Somebody today accused you and I of being a motley crew. There are a lot of backgrounds in this room. And in the Lord's Church Universal, there's pretty much every background that we could ever imagine. There is no way to bring us all together in unity and in peace except through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why when we go into the third chapter, he is going to explain, Paul is going to explain his message and then he's going to explain the church's message. Notice in, verse, in the third chapter, he says in verse three that he was given this revelation And he has made known to me the mystery, that that was not known until it has now been revealed. And Paul's saying, God is using me to reveal it. He talks more about that mystery and he describes what it is in verse six, in the third chapter in verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul, what is your ministry about? He says, my ministry is about revealing this mystery that people didn't know before. What did they not know before? They did not know how we were all going to come together, Jew and Gentile. They did not understand that. And so he says, that is why I became a minister and that's what I'm doing. And so now let's read verse eight and following and notice how he takes this over to describe the church. To me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make, here it is, he's gonna make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. We're going to share it. The Jews are going to share in this mystery. The Gentiles, every ethnicity, we're all going to share in this mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who Christ or who created all things through Christ Jesus. So pause there for a moment. Notice it's been hidden from the beginning of the ages, but in the Christian dispensation, it was to be revealed. But even as it was revealed, Acts 2, even go back. The Great Commission revealed it. Acts 2 revealed it, but they still didn't get it. You had to go several years down the road and you get to Cornelius in Acts 10 and still, they were still struggling with it. Acts 15, they're still struggling with it. Paul writes Ephesians and he's he's just laying it out here. He's like, look, we have been struggling and struggling and struggling with this. Let's get this real clear. So what is the message of the church? Well, let's get to that in the next two verses here. Look at verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, so in verse 9... We have this fellowship of the mystery. It's been revealed and it's to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. It's to the intent. Next week, we'll have a mission team to leave and go to El Salvador. Let's be praying about that. They have... intent, or intentions on that trip. When they do medical missions or when they sit down and study the Bible, what what are they ultimately wanting to do? You can ask anyone that is going on that trip and, and every one of them will be able to tell you what the intent is. Save souls. What is the intent of the church? Well, when we look at the intent, he says the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, and that word manifold is variegated. It is uh, multicolored. It's actually the idea of iridescent. It's the idea of many. So the, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God has, has so many veins. It has so many fibers, if you will, in this fabric of God's wisdom that it all runs together. And what it is to show is that it is to show not only us, we've already been studying about that for two chapters, peace to us, but it's also supposed to show no doubt to the world, but he says to the principalities and the power. Now what is or who is the principality and the power? It doesn't really reveal exactly who it is. We know in this very same book in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, we know the principalities and the powers are talking about even those on the dark side spirits, demons, Satan, his angels. It very well could be those on the good side. You remember in 1 Peter, toward the end of the first chapter, there was a a desire by the angels to look over the edge of heaven and watch all of this unfold. The manifold wisdom of God, it is God's intent that the church would show the manifold wisdom of God to all the principalities. Now, I don't know if this is exactly the way this, is, this happened, but just imagine with me, if you will. You've read the text. You know what it says. I'm just trying to help us make application. Imagine, imagine if Satan and some of the demons, imagine them kind of laughing and, and talking among themselves and saying... <laughs> Have you heard what God's plan is? He is going to ask every human being on the earth to come into one church. (laughs) They can't unite if you put them in one community, much less around the world. They can't unite because they're they're different colors of skin. They have different cultures. They have different amounts of money. They have different abilities and they get jealous of each other. They have varying degrees of power and they hate each other. Can you believe that God's plan is that they're all gonna come together in one church? Maybe the angels in heaven are looking over saying, do you think this is really gonna work? We've seen all the wars that happen on this earth. We, we've seen all the gossiping. We have seen how much people don't like people when they're not like them. Do you think it's really going to work for them all to be brought into one church? And Paul gives a message by inspiration. that says, let me tell you, What is the intent of the manifold wisdom of God? And it's this mystery that I've devoted my life to preaching that all Jews and Gentiles, all nationalities will be brought together, raised up, we're going back to the second chapter, raised up together into Christ Living peaceful. That's my message that God has given me that I've devoted my life. And that is literally the experience of how the church exists. I've just given you an outline of the second and third chapter. Raised up together in Christ to have peace, Paul devotes his life to telling the Jews and the Gentiles they belong together And that is what the church manifests. What's my takeaway? The reason I need to work so hard on my heart to make sure that I am not prejudiced and I am not partial is because not only is that a problem with hatred, but it also creates a very real problem for me to never even truly understand what a big intent of the church really is. A huge intention of the church is to show powers and principalities and all mankind, look how much we love each other. No matter who the other is. This week, I don't know the people that God is going to bring into your life, but I want, you to, incur, I want to encourage you to love them and to show compassion toward them in a way that you would yourself. Let there be no partiality among us. Tonight, have you experienced that being raised with Christ? Have you experienced that peace that passes understanding of knowing your sins are forgiven because you've been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? Have you experienced that life of unity with God, but unity with others because that's the way you love? If there's anything we can do tonight to help you take steps towards God, please come as we stand as we sing.